Well, this morning, I have another opportunity to come and share with you God's Word. Uh, I'm excited about this opportunity. It was funny, this morning I, I ran down to the Wilmington campus. I had to take care of some business and uh, I saw Pastor John there and he's like, wait a minute, did we get our uh, communication mixed up? Are you supposed to be here and where am I supposed to be? And I said, no, no, you're in the right place. I just had to run by and pick something up. And so Pastor John will be back next week, uh, but he's preaching in Wilmington this morning and I get the chance to be with you this morning. So this morning, we're actually going to be in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take that out and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. This summer, uh, after having the opportunity to go to Africa, uh, I came back and, and was kind of contemplating my fall and looking at, you know, what is it that I want to do or what ways do I want to grow or, or what new things do I want to learn uh, this fall? And I remember one afternoon, I was sitting down at my computer and I said, you know what? I want to do a triathlon. I want to do a triathlon. I've never done a triathlon before, so I'm going to do it. So I go online. I find one that's at Lum's Pond coming up in September, and I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I signed up, and I registered, and then reality set in almost as immediately as I hit enter. I remembered that there's one problem. I don't swim. (laughs) Didn't know how to swim. I had no idea how to swim. I could literally, I could get into a pool and I could flail my arms as much as I could and I can get from one side to the other. But one time, I, by the time I got to the other side, I was so exhausted, I couldn't continue on. And so I was really nervous. I'm like, what am I gonna do? I just paid all this money to, to compete in this triathlon. I don't know how to swim. So I took the family on down to the pool and I'm like, I've got to learn how to swim. So I got the goggles and I had the swimming trunks on, and I get into the pool, and sure enough, I made it from one side to the next without stopping. But by the time I got to the end, I was done. I was finished. It's like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And I just so happened, I looked over to the lane next to me, and I see this little kid just like whizzing up and down nonstop. I'm like, great, awesome. So I began this process of trying to learn how to swim. And so I watched some videos on YouTube and I uh, went to some embarrassing times at the pool where every time I'd go to the pool, I'd, I'd look at someone that looked like they knew what they were doing. And I'm like, hey, can you help me? I don't know how to do this thing. And so they'd share some advice and, and they'd give me some instructions. And then I had the opportunity um, to spend some time being, being coached through this, this swimming thing. And I slowly learned how to swim. I learned how to, how to breathe and I learned how to put your hands in the water and how to kick your legs like you're supposed to. And it was this amazing thing that took, took small little bits and pieces along the way. And so I learned how to swim. And what's, what's amazing about learning new things and, and walking through processes of transformation is that we, we need a teacher. We need times of learning. We need times of teaching. But then we need times of training. So I could sit in a classroom all day long and learn about swimming, but it's not until I actually got into the pool and tried to work this thing out that I started to to see how my body was supposed to respond. But then really in learning, there's always a test, right? And so I had the test. The test date was set, was my first triathlon. I was going to swim a half a mile. I was going to bike 20 miles and I was going to run 3.3 miles. Now for me, like the biking and the running part, that's, that's easy. But the swimming part, I was so nervous about. So I remember the first day I go there and I get into the water, I had my wetsuit on and cap and goggles and the gun goes off and I see all these people just swimming and I'm like, okay, here it is. Here's the time for your test. So I get in the water and I start trying to swim and like fear and anxiety just rushed into my spirit. This wetsuit was all too tight. The water was way too warm and the people were kicking all around me. It was like total chaos. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. (laughs) 
And so I remembered in my mind, just finished, just finished, just finished. So as the race went on, everyone's just passing me by. I'm like, okay, the only thing I know how to do is survive. So I rolled over my back and I'm doing like this modified backstroke kind of thing, trying to breathe as those people are whizzing by me. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, let's do this. Help me, Lord. Help me. So I roll back over. And by this time, the second heat, so the way they do triathlons is they let people off in heat. So there was the heat, our heat went off, and then five minutes later, the next heat. Well, what had happened is the heat and the heat behind that had caught up to me. And they, they passed me, and they were passing me. And I finally made it out of the water, and everything was fine. But one of the things that I learned that day, and I remember thinking to myself as I'm in the water, I need more training. I need more practice. I need more training. And so I realized that day that my swimming was a fail. I failed. I didn't die, so that's good. So it wasn't like an utter failure, but it was just a failure. And I learned that if I really wanted to do this, that I needed to go back and I needed to follow this process again. I needed more teaching. I needed more training and I needed more tests. And I'm pleased to tell you now, last week I had an opportunity to swim. I swam a mile and a half without stopping. That's pretty... (laughs) And I've decided that I'm going to try and compete in an Ironman. Uh, next year. So that's 2.4 miles of swimming. So please, please pray for me in that. But really what we see, and I shared that story with you now because I want you to say, hey, you're doing a good job. But I, I, it was a real test for me. It was a real understanding of this process of transformation that, that life is about. Life is about teaching, training, testing. And if there's failures, then we go back and we go through that process. But when we get past that point, we go to a place and when we get to the test and we succeed, that's when there's real transformation. And I I share this with you because I believe that this is the process that Jesus has been taking his disciples through. As he's been walking with them, as we've been looking this through the book of Mark, we see that as Jesus is developing his disciples to be followers of him, he's taken them through this process. We saw at the beginning of Mark, Jesus takes 12 men and he chooses 12 men and he draws them close. And he says this simply in the first few chapters of Mark, he says, simply do this, just follow me. Don't do anything. All you've got to do is follow and watch. And they had the opportunity to watch Jesus as he continued to teach and as he continued to preach about who he was and why he came. They got to see firsthand him reach down and heal people. They got to see Jesus do amazing things. And then we see in about Mark chapter six, we see something takes place. They go from a time of teaching now to a time of training. What happened in Mark chapter six? Jesus sends them out two by two. He says, this is what I want you to do. At this time, I want you to go out there And I want you to go into new places. And then this is what I want you to do. Don't take anything with you. But in through this process, you have to trust in me fully for all of your needs. But when you go find someone that's receptive, then when they welcome you into their home, spend time with them and proclaim to them the kingdom of God. And then as you're doing that, do the things that you saw me do. Cast out demons, heal those that are sick. And we see that in Mark chapter six, his disciples went out and they did that. And so it's almost as though they, they come back to Jesus in Mark chapter six and they say, Jesus, we nailed it. We watched you. We went in you and we saw you provide. Those mornings we woke up, we didn't have money to provide food for ourselves. We didn't have extra clothing. And guess what? Every single step of the way you were there. So they saw it. They experienced it. And then we know right after that, a test came because they were tired and they were continuing on the ministry of Jesus and Jesus draws them close and he says, hey, it's time for us to go to the other side of the sea. So they give them the sea and they go on the other side. And as they're going to the other side of the sea, they see this great crowd of people coming after them. 
And so Jesus gets out of the boat and there's this multitude of people there. And so what does he do? He has compassion on these people. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he spends time teaching them. And he's teaching them in the midst of his disciples just wanting to be away with Jesus. He says, no, 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 we're gonna spend time because we have compassion for these people. And his disciples begin to see that the people are growing hungry and they're in need. And so here comes the test. The disciples come to Jesus and say, we need to do something. Jesus, send these people away so they can go get food. And Jesus responds and he looks at them and says, no, you feed them which is the test. They had just come from a point of where Jesus had provided for every single one of their needs. Whenever they had a need, they looked to Jesus or they looked to God and God provided. And in this case, how did they respond? They began taking this call of Jesus and they said, wait a minute. They began calculating in their own minds and their own strength and power. And they said, wait a minute, it's gonna take like eight years wages to feed all these people. There's no way we can do that. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they look around And they say, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. So Jesus says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Set them down in meaningful groups of care and then watch what I'm gonna do. Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and he blesses them. He prays and says, God, please multiply it for the needs of these people. And guess what happens? There's enough food to feed 5,000 people that day. And on that day, I can only imagine as these disciples walk through this test as they're handing out the bread. Every time their hand goes into the basket to feed more people, there's more and more food there. And on that day, Jesus even gives them that opportunity to have a concrete reminder. It says there in Mark chapter six, that they each had a basket of food left over at the end of that day. So that day they had a visible representation of the power of God in their hands as this basket was full At the beginning of the day, there was only five loaves and two fish, and now there are 12 baskets left over. So they leave that place on that day having a real representation of the power of God. So they failed that day. They failed the test that day, but Jesus in his love and his compassionate care keeps them close. Doesn't belittle them but keeps them close. And then Mark chapter 6, 45 through 737, we see Jesus walks them through the process again of reteaching them, retraining them. And now as we're gonna come to our passage today, we're gonna see that they're entering into a time of testing again. Look with me in Mark chapter eight, verse one. In those days, when again, a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he calls his disciples to him and said to them, Now, do you see this scenario setting up again? Now, remember, Jesus is now not in a Jewish area, but Jesus is is in a Gentile area. He's gone outside of his own chosen people and he's been spending time sharing the mission and the ministry of God to the Gentiles. And now this great crowd of Gentiles have followed Jesus and they're waiting there and they're looking and they wanna know more about the kingdom of God And we see the stage is set for another test. People are hungry. How will the disciples respond again? How are they supposed to respond? We're gonna see this, how they do respond and how they're supposed to respond. And what I want us to see here is we we lay this out. These are the ways that disciples are supposed to respond. This is the way you and I are supposed to respond. There are three things. One, we begin by responding with compassion. We have and ask the Lord for eyes of compassion. Once we have compassion, that leads us to action. And then as we're acting, it leads to satisfaction. Now, now that kind of rhymes together. Compassion, action, 
satisfaction. This, so you can remember it. R- write those three words down. Compassion, action, and satisfaction. We're going to see that played out as we look at this passage today. Look at me in verses two through three. This is Jesus' how he responds when he sees the needs of the people. He says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar away. Jesus has compassion. For three days, the spiritual hunger of these people drew them and kept them close to Jesus. Nothing could drag them away because they knew what Jesus was teaching and what Jesus was presenting to them were the words of life. But I'm reminded in this passage, even in the midst of those three days, the way the Lord has made us as he has given us physical hunger. He's given us physical hunger so we would be reminded that we need him. Every single day when we sit down to eat, it should be a constant reminder that we are limited in our abilities. But God is infinite. God is infinite in his abilities, but because we are made as humans, we have limitations. And the limitations that we have is we need food. We need food for fuel. And where does that food come from? It always comes from God. And so in the midst of this, we see a spiritual hunger and physical need coming together. And Jesus is filled with compassion. Really what it means to be filled with compassion is the have eyes to see. Compassion is the ability to see. It's the ability to see need. And here Jesus is able to see the needs of the Gentiles. He knew that if he was to send them away, that many of them wouldn't make it because they've been without food for three days. And many of them live so far away that if they made it home or if they tried to get home, they would surely die. So as I've said, compassion is the ability to see. You see, we will never act until we're able to see. That's why we see commercials like the one that Sarah McLaughlin stars in from the ASPCA, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Have you seen those commercials? The commercials where they show pictures of dogs or cats that have been abused or neglected. It's not until you see those pictures of those little dogs, those little puppies that are in need that we feel moved to do something, right? Every single day, dogs all over the world are treated poorly. And many of us sit here today, we're like, yeah, that's, that's, I may know it, but it's not a big deal until you see it happening, that you want to do something about it. So sometimes we need to see before we can care and then we can act. So Jesus was, comes into this place and he's moved with compassion. But then we see his compassion moves him to action. How does he respond? Look at me in verse four. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. See, the disciples were even able to see the need. They were able to see the needs because their bellies were growling themselves and they were able to see the needs of the others, but they failed to respond in the right way again. They failed to trust that Jesus would provide You see, this is how we typically respond. Even though we know how Jesus has responded in the past, we know that Jesus has been there for us. If you've walked with the Lord any amount of time in your life, you know that Jesus has been there in your times of brokenness and in your times of need. But then as you encounter new times of brokenness and new times of need, what is our natural first response? 
Our natural first response is to not look back and see what Jesus has done in the past. Our natural response is to say, I got this. Naturally, we want to be able to say, I I can do this. I'm faced with this problem. We got this. But in the same way, the disciples try to go down that road. They try to go down that road and say, we got this. But then they look at the, the multitudes of people and they look at what they have and they say, we don't got this. This is an impossible task. There's no way that we can feed these people. Some of them will surely die. I know because we're going to send them away. There's no bread in this desolate place. There's no avenues for them to get help. You'd think that they would remember that just a few chapters ago, You'd think that they would remember the time that they went to the basket and they fed people and the food continued to be there. You'd think that they would remember the time that they walked home that day with a basket full of food that Jesus is powerful enough to provide. You can look at them and you can say, how dense you must be. How many times do you have to learn before you get it? But that's not how Jesus responds. Jesus not only has compassion on the crowd, Jesus also has compassion on his disciples. Look at how he responds. How many loaves do you have? Jesus is not angry with his disciples. He doesn't belittle them, but he tenderly leads them. It's much like the way, if you're a parent and and you've had a a child and, and you try to work your child up to being able to learn how to walk, right? So we do little things, we give them a little scooter thing so they start learning, learning their balances. But the, that day when you think they're getting ready to walk, what do you do? You prop them up against the wall. Well, this is what we did at our house. I remember propping them against the wall and you'd walk away from them a few, a few feet and you say, come on, baby, come on, baby, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And they take that first step and they, they wobble and they wobble and they try to take another step and inevitably they fall. Now, when they fall, when the little child falls, what does the parent do? The parent doesn't belittle the child. The parent doesn't say, oh, you silly little child. When are you going to get it right? They don't raise their voice and scream at the child. No, instead, the parent looks at the child that's wobbling and falls, and they reach out their hand to pick up the child and say, good job. Way to go. You're doing it. You're doing it. It's a time of celebration. That's how I imagine Jesus as he looks at his disciples. He's not telling them how, how silly they are or how, much, how, how great a lack of faith they had. But he comes close to them and he offers them his hand and reminds them, I love you. I have compassion on you. But the beautiful thing about, uh, about learning how to walk is what happens when a child finally learns how to walk? Does the parent need to continue to stay by them and cheer them on? You can do it, baby. You're walking to the school bus. Good job. You don't do that because they already learn it. But the parenting then, you shift from teaching them how to walk to teaching them how to walk in the right ways. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He asks them, how many loaves do you have? See, the disciples still hadn't come to the place where they fully trusted in Jesus. They didn't fully trust in his provision. They didn't fully trust in his power. And you know, we, we, get, we find ourselves in places just like that. Even mature Christians, 
have experienced God's power and his provision one day. And then maybe even in the same scenario, a week, a month, a year later, they find themselves in the same position and they forget what they've learned. And they act with unbelief. But what I want us to see here, and you kind of hope we can see this, is that our mistakes in the midst of our ministry and in the mistakes in the midst of our trying to follow the Lord, our mistakes do not hinder Jesus's ministry and Jesus's mission. Somehow, and I don't know how this all works together, but we can see it here showing up because the mission of God is to save people from their sins. He has come to save people from their sins. And what we've seen Jesus doing is he's taking his ministry and his mission to the Gentiles. And in the midst of him caring for the Gentiles, we see the mistakes of his disciples don't hinder the mission of God. So let that be a reminder to us too. Somehow in the way that God works in his sovereignty, he works through our mistakes to carry out his mission. That is a glorious thing that we need to remember. So Jesus responds, how many loaves? Well, we have seven loaves and a few fish. Jesus responds, that will do. That is enough. So it says here, and he directed the crowds in verse six to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. How does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by taking what appears to be inadequate and he multiplies it. The disciples placed the bread and the fish in Jesus' hands. So they had to release it unto Jesus. Jesus takes it into his hands. He looks to God and blesses it, gives thanks. And then a miracle happens. The same miracle that happened before, he multiplies it. If I was a disciple, I, I wonder how long it would take me before I realized what was going on. I wonder, as again, I'm reaching into that basket and I'm pulling out fish and I'm pulling out bread. How long do you think it would take you to realize what Jesus was doing? What he was reminding you of? What a great way Jesus tenderly shows more about who he was and about who and what he was about. See, there's also, so this is a a cycle of transformation that Jesus is taking his disciples through. He's taught them, he's trained them, and now giving them a test. And this is the second time they're going through this cycle. But there's also another beginning cycle of testing and transformation that he wants to take his disciples through. What he wants, what he's doing here also, we see later show up, is Jesus is teaching his disciples how they are to respond to racism. Jesus is teaching his disciples because he's shown them that it doesn't matter what your culture is or the color of your skin or who you are. That's not what is going to make you dirty. Jesus draws close to those that the world had determined as being dirty. These Gentiles were dirty. They were filthy. And Jesus comes close to them and he comes close to them with compassion. 
And we see now that his disciples are sharing in that compassion. They're able to share in that because what has happened is Jesus says this to, before he goes into the Gentile area, he tells the religious leaders, it's not about what's on the outside that defiles you, it's, on the, it's what's on the inside of the heart. And so Jesus leaves and he goes to this forsaken area and shows with compassion. And to this point, his disciples, all they've had to do is watch Jesus work. They watch Jesus heal the mute and deaf man. They watched Jesus heal the little girl that, had demon, that was demon possessed. But now Jesus is giving his disciples an opportunity to share in the compassion because don't miss this. Jesus sends his disciples to serve the dirty. It's there on that hillside, on that place, Jesus has his disciples bend down and serve these Gentiles. That's a big deal. They're now getting a chance to participate in this ministry of God, this mission of God, because we know that God cares not only for the Jew, God cares for the Gentile, God cares for us, God cares for all people. But I want us to see in this process of transformation, it took more cycles for the disciples to get it. If we had an opportunity uh, to turn to Galatians chapter two, I'll, I'll read it for you, you don't have to turn there. But what we see is what has happened is throughout the process, throughout time, Peter, who was a disciple who was there at the feeding of the 4,000, who bent down and helped serve some of these Gentiles. By the time we get to Galatians chapter two, what has happened is Peter drew close to these Gentiles who had become believers. But then under pressure, we see that he begins to distance himself. He begins to take those that were Jews that are now believers and distance themselves from the Gentile believers. And this is what has to happen. God uses Paul in Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 13 to come and confront Peter of his racism. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter fails again. And it's not until Paul comes and confronts him that he has another opportunity to continue to walk in the Lord. And guess what happens with Peter? Peter finally gets it. This process of transformation takes time we may have to repeat these cycles of transformation over and over and over again. And it may take time over years because we are dense, because we want to do things our own way. We constantly want to struggle with our own strength and power and ability. Sometimes it takes us many, many years and many, many times, but know that God is gracious. God is gracious to us. God is caring towards us. He's compassionate towards us. So we've seen that the way we are supposed to respond in this world is to move from compassion to action where we trust in God through Jesus. And then that always leads to satisfaction. When we walk through that process, when we give to God and allow God to do what he wants to do, there always leads to satisfaction. Look with me in verses eight through 10. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were there about 4,000 people and he sent them away 
And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Demalutha. We see satisfaction. Not only is there spiritual satisfaction, there's also physical satisfaction. On that day, the bellies of these people were full. Not only were they full because now they knew the kingdom of God, at the same time their bellies were full. That's what Jesus does. He satisfies. You know, there's that commercial or that slogan that says Snickers really satisfies. You guys remember that? It's a lie. Snickers doesn't satisfy. Snickers may give you a a boost of adrenaline or a boost of insulin. It may make you feel good for a moment, but guess what you're going to need in a little bit after you eat that Snickers? You're going to need more food. Snickers does not truly satisfy. But Jesus truly satisfies. And the reality is, and the beautiful thing is, is we can have as much Jesus as we want. There's nothing that hinders us between a satisfa- finding our satisfaction in Jesus and sharing the satisfaction of Jesus with others. There's nothing standing in the way except for us. You see, we can become the conduit through which God satisfies others. But if we keep our eyes closed, we refuse to trust in God, we become the roadblock to that compassion, to that moving of satisfaction. I want to leave us, as we continue to contemplate this passage, I want to leave us with, with four implications um, for our world today, for, for us individually today. First, I, I pray uh, that we are people that have eyes of compassion. I, I pray that naturally the Lord has already worked you through the process to where you can walk down a city street and your eyes are just open to see um, all of the needs and you're moved to, to action. But I'm also aware that it's easy for us because I get caught in that track at the same time is that I live my life sometimes with blinders on where I'm only concerned about the needs. I, it's easy for me to have compassion for my wife most, uh, most days. But it's really easy for me to have compassion on my children. So it's easy for me to, to have all of my energies and all of my efforts be directed to being compassionate and being the greatest person, to being the conduit of God's satisfaction to my family. But sometimes it's hard for me to have compassion for others. Sometimes I don't even see because my, my world is so involved in the activities and the comings and goings of my own family that I don't even have time or eyes to see needs of anyone else. And so if you're like me, then maybe your prayer today is to beg the Lord to remove those blinders so that you may have new eyes of compassion. Have bigger eyes of compassion. Our world is full of need. You don't even have to look very far to see the needs of the world that God has placed you in so that he may use you to intercede in. Maybe that's, maybe that's your prayer. You just need to ask the Lord to give you eyes of compassion. The second implication is, is as you have eyes of compassion and you're met with need, when you encounter the brokenness of our world, whether it's in your own life or those that are around you, may we work to train our bodies so that our first response is to look to Jesus to trust in him to provide. Maybe that's the lesson you need to learn today. Maybe you do have compassion, but maybe when faced with need, your first response is let's get in there and let's fix it. 
And then you look around to your own resources, your own provisions. You say, we can fix this by doing this, this, and this. Instead of saying, this is a big problem. Let's look to the Lord and ask the Lord to provide and give him room to act. The third implication is where are we finding our satisfaction? Are you sitting here today listening to the word of God being proclaimed and is it satisfying your soul? Like, is, are there parts of you right now that are feeling fed? Where you have some more energy or you have some more, something inside of you that helps you continue on in the process of following God. I'll tell you what, you can find that satisfaction in God every single day. You don't need to look for satisfaction in other places other than Jesus. Fourthly, maybe you're here today and you need the grace of God. You need to be reminded of the grace of God as you walk this journey. Maybe today you just need a fresh experience of the grace of God. Maybe you've been walking down this path and you find it real easy to beat yourself up for who you're not and what you're not. This shows up in my own life sometimes when I'm going through, through life and I see an opportunity to, to interact. I, I, maybe I see someone walking down the street and the spirit of God, I hear that voice saying, hey, why don't you pull over? Why don't you go talk to that person? And for whatever reason, sometimes I stop, sometimes I don't. But in the times that I don't stop and I get down to the next stoplight and I hear that voice saying, you should have stopped. You should have stopped. And instead of taking that as a a loving word of the Lord, instead of hearing that as a tender word from the Lord, I take it as conviction in a negative way. Instead of hearing the voice of God saying, it's all right, we'll get up, we'll go again, we'll try again. Instead, I hear the voice of God as saying, you're stupid. When are you gonna finally get it? And that's not the voice of God, that's the voice of the devil. And it leads me to the place sometimes of where I, where I think about who I should be and who I'm not. And all of this comes crashing down and I'm like, I'm a worthless piece, a pile of, of, of earthly dung and I'm not worth anything. And that leads me down this path. Instead of listening and hearing the voice of God say, it's okay, we'll get it again. I'm big enough to give you another opportunity to listen to that same lesson again. So maybe you're here today and and you walk down that path and you just need to be reminded that God is not angry at you, but he has an amazing grace. He has amazing mercy. And that he just wants you to continue to follow him, continue to trust him. When you fall down, lift your hands up, let him pick you up, put you back against the wall and then listen to his voice saying, come, come. How do we need to respond from what we've heard the word of the Lord say to us this morning? In just a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a time to sing. And and let that time of singing just be an opportunity for you to deal with whatever God has been laying on your heart. Maybe you just need to come to him and say, God, this is, this is the, the mess that I'm in here. Take my mess. Or maybe you're here today and and God is, is really encouraging you to continue to have eyes of compassion. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. Or maybe you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus And be reminded of who you are in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you love us, for the way that you care for us. And Father, I thank you for this real lesson that we've seen uh, from your word today. 
Father, we know you don't ask, act, ask us to be perfect and that we fail and that sometimes we need to learn the same thing over and over and over and over again. But Lord, allow us to be reminded that you are gracious today. Allow us to feel that grace where we need to feel your grace. And Father, we know that you have not just placed us here so that we may live our lives just between us and you, but you've placed us here because our world is full of brokenness and you've placed us here so that we can be engaging brokenness with the truth of your love. And so Father, I pray today that you'd give us eyes of compassion. Help us to see those in our home that are broken, those that are in our communities that are broken, those that are in our workplaces that are broken. Father, help us not to be, help us not to be afraid of brokenness, but give us eyes to see the world that we live in as you see it. Help us to be moved to compassion. Help us move to action. But in our action, Father, may we always look to you for strength. May we look to you for wisdom. May we look for, to you to intercede. And may we glorify you when you do. In Jesus' name we pray.